This time on No Not the Mind Probe, episode 15, Death by Robot. John, uh, these episodes that we're going to watch explore some of author Isaac Asimov's rules of robotics. Mm. As we all know, the first rule of robots is you do not talk about robots. about robots. And this, the second rule of robotics is a well-regulated robot militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The rights of the robots to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Mm-hmm. Now, that one's confusing. But what it breaks down to is, A, first, robots should have arms on right. them because it would just be weird to have like armless robots. Mm-hmm. So that's intuitive. And then B, robots should be able to murder people with AK-47s as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the third law of, ro- law of robots is Robots 3, Citizens on Patrol, mm-hmm. which is my favorite mm-hmm. of the sequels. Yeah, it's, anyway, it's that's the, what governs all of robotics to this day. It's the little-used third robot amendment that uh, I was able to use to prevent Mike from getting a Roomba. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I was like, you do not have to quarter robots in your home. I was like, the Constitution clearly protects that. So we do not have a Roomba, and we're standing by that. Welcome to no, no, not the mind probe, <laughs> you guys. Witty, not the mind probe. Don't bring that up. A podcast where we watch and rank every single Doctor Who story ever. My name is John Grant, and I am a lifelong Doctor Who fan. I've been watching it for thirty-five years. Thirty-five of your human years. <laughs> and you're also a human. We're all humans, but I, I like the distinction. I just want to be specific. Yeah. My human name is Porter Mason, and John's been asking me to watch Doctor Who for 25 years, and I finally said yes. Each episode of NNTMP will look at two stories. We're going through the new Doctor Who series in order, and our Doctor Who sommelier, John, finds a pairing of that episode with a classic story from the past. John, what do we have in store this episode? Well, first again, I want to just let people know, you can probably tell from the listening, that the Probe Teeny is once again out this week. Uh, Mm. It takes a lot of vacations, I'm going to be honest, but ironclad contract. Uh, And so we want to welcome the the DACA Probe, I think would be the right word for the DAC Probery. Um, Probery doesn't work. Mm, No, (laughs) no. De, de probery? I don't know. Anyway, it's a, I'm drinking a daiquiri. And, um, and, and on, <laughs> on my side, I have the uh, probamile tea or camaprobe tea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the word probe is just infinitely worse now. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the show. Um, no, the podcast that we do together each week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this week, uh, we are watching uh, the next in the David Tennant series, The Girl in the Fireplace, uh, The Return of the Great Stephen Moffat. Uh, and we have paired that uh, with another out-of-control robot story. Out of control both in the sense of enjoyable, like just out-of-control fun, and then also the robots themselves are out of control. It works on every level. Uh, mm-hmm. The robots of death. Ooh. All right, we're going to recap some episodes. First, The Girl in the Fireplace, uh, which sounds like when you're trying to describe a, a, a person <laughs> that you met before that you can't quite remember their name or anything but you're like you know you know the the, the girl in the fireplace like she's the, I mean, uh, if you I can't, can't remember her i don't know how else to explain it to you to death in a fireplace it feels like it's like, like you really wouldn't need to if you're at a party and you know a woman was in a fireplace 
<laughs> like, spend a lot of time recalling uh, that. You know, like, remember, <laughs> we went to the party. The girl was burned alive. That one, that girl. Remember what her? Your name? I saw her. What's your name? I saw her the other day. <laughs> She's fine. Uh, anyway, this is uh, not at all about that. Nothing like that. What we just described happens in this episode. Nope, this is not. season two, episode four of The New Who. It was released on the 6th of May. 2006 and here is a little clip that john put together with his own bare hands hold still let me know you've been scanning her brain what you crossed two galaxies and thousands of years just to scan a child's brain what could there be in a little girl's mind worth blowing a hole in the universe i don't understand it wants me you want me not yet. You are incomplete. Incomplete? What does that mean, incomplete? You can answer her, you can answer me. What do you mean, incomplete? Michelle, be careful! Just a nightmare, Annette. Don't worry about it. Everyone has nightmares. You monsters from under the bed have nightmares. Don't you, monster? What do monsters have nightmares about? Me! All right, that's a real badass. That's sort of an Ar- yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger line there at the end there. Mm-hmm. What do monsters have nightmares about? I Me. thought you were going to say it was like a hey Arnold moment. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> <laughs> that's a real hey it's Arnold a real moment. Rugrats moment. Um, okay, so let me tell you what happened in this episode, John, for, so you can kind of get your feeble little mind yeah. around it. Really, get my let bearings. me explain what this whole podcast is about. Uh, John is getting older and doesn't really remember the Doctor Who episodes as much as he used to. So I come on in just a nice, gentle manner and explain to him what happened. Yeah explain him and then i'm like all right and then i randomly say like some 1970s british actor (laughs) like d-list actor i'm like no and then john's like is there gonna be soup i was told there'd be more soup (laughs) anyway this podcast is disturbing about one this is a podcast about aging uh anyway the doctor joined by rose (laughs) and now mickey exciting uh they -hmm. look around an abandoned spaceship and find a fireplace that seems seems to be some sort of wormhole to 18th century uh paris that's france uh when the doctor travels through the portal he finds himself in a young girl's bedroom uh which eh, a little creepy and he determines that months have passed since he spoke he speaks to her through the fireplace then travels through the wormhole and he he determines that months have actually passed since he first spoke to her he protects her from a scary robot that dre- that's dressed in period garb and is sort of constructed like a like a clock. It's sort of an ancient, not quite steampunk machine, but uh, actually earlier than steampunk, I guess, really. Clock yeah, clockwork. Yeah. He goes back and forth through the portal, and now the girl is a young woman who is Madame Pompadour, apparently a famous mistress of King Louis the Fifteenth. Do do Pompadour the do? Oh, okay, Madame. Madame okay, well, there yeah. you go. Um, the doctor f- don't insult all of friends okay i try not to the the doctor <laughs> fight fine <laughs> the doctor fights but do the french like that we call them french fries are they okay with that we talk that's the main thing the way we mention the word french or france in america is we eat a lot of french mm. fries do they like that and french do they claim mustard. that 
I I I think Pump they uh, they call them freedom flies. <laughs> freedom flies. <laughs> yeah, they're fr- they're freaks. They're freaks in uh, in France. I've been to France. Just want to get that out there, podcasters, been perverts. Been I've been, been to France. Braggers. So you're you're dealing with a pretty sophisticated <laughs> guy here. Like, let's not uh, let's not get any. I've been to France. I me, ate at you. a McDonald's there. It was great. Um, <laughs> yes. Apparently, uh, she was a famous mistress of King Louis the Fifteenth. Uh, the doctor fights off more of the androids, and as he pops back in and out of Dupompadour's life, he falls in love with her, and she, him, and he learns that the robots are harv- have harvested people in order to repair the spaceship that they're on. Uh, I don't totally understand if it always was theirs. I, I don't know, but that's what they're doing, and they plan to harvest uh, uh, Renette. I'll just call her Renette uh because i keep wanting to say pompadour but apparently that doesn't work uh they plan to harvest renette once she turns 37 there's something about that 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 then her brain will be right ripe for the picking you know like when you go apple picking and they're like oh don't get one it's still green same thing when you go brain picking you gotta wait you gotta wait until the brains are ripe. yeah it gets good Uh, the androids invade her 37th birthday party and but the doctor is stuck because the only way he can go back into france to save her would involve stranding himself there. He would essentially be stuck in 18th century France. And by the way, he would also be stranding Rose and Mickey on an empty ship in the middle of the, the universe. But that doesn't seem to get mentioned a lot. Um, they, they could go back in the TARDIS and die to, there. Yeah, so, they could you know. curl up in the TARDIS and die. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, he goes for it. <laughs> he rolls the dice on that. Mm-hmm. And he rides. Uh, this is uh, an iconic scene. I have seen somehow a clip of this that he rides a horse. Mm-hmm. A horse had wandered through into the spaceship or earlier through yeah, through one right. of the portals, but he, and he he rides the horse and smashes it through uh, a window. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a mirror, uh, and he smashes the mirror to to save Renette. And the androids are ruined when he does this because their link mm. back to the ship is now broken. <clears throat> so, right, he he does this with every intention of thinking that he's going to be stuck there with her without the TARDIS, without really any way back necessarily, unless I guess maybe, you know, Mickey and Rose, maybe they figure out the TARDIS and travel to him. But anyway, he, he clearly is doing this as a one way ticket. He he's thinking that this is going to happen. Um, the Andrew, I'm sorry, the, uh, Renette tells the doctor that she's built a replica of the original fireplace, which, some gobbledygook and hand waving is said, and that means that yeah. he still has a link maintained to the ship. And the robot, it didn't work for the robots because it was built after their initial link. Again, hands are waved Cut and yeah. it's fine. Wave explanations bandied about. Um, yeah. He tells her that she'll come with him as a companion and to get ready, pack a bag, he says. And then pretty stupidly <laughs> goes through the portal yeah. and back. And then when he comes back to fetch her, um, years have passed and she has just passed away. She's just died. He uh, he talks to, to King Louis, actually, who, who gives him this news. Mm-hmm. And he returns to the ship and they leave and he tries to pretend he's fine. He says, I'm always all right, because Rose clearly sees it's, mm-hmm. that something's wrong. But uh, this is a real, real emotional down ending, a really, really downbeat ending. He's mm-hmm. he's pretty broken up. Uh, he is clearly, like I said in this episode, it's said like he's in love with this woman and he he screws it up. I mean, he, he really like she could be with him now and uh, he 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 sacrifices everything for her. But then 
kind of in in the quickness of all this just loses her now look like look we've talked about in the last episode even if she had come with him he's timeless and she's not so that there's this was going to end poorly anyway but it's compressed in a very short period of time (laughs) where it it fails so immediately for him anyway i'm getting into my interpretation but yeah it was very very sad ending john what did i he, he screwed it up in the sense that he he let her die, which yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Boy, you really you really blew that one when you let her die. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean screws up by um, by he he seems to keep forgetting this fact that it, at the very best it right. is unpredictable when you go in and out of the portal when he will how much time will have passed. At the very best, it's unpredictable. Yeah, and so the fact that he goes back and forth yeah. at that moment really wasn't needed, and that's what really costs um him being able to spend more time with her yeah uh yeah no, i think i think you basically so they reason uh they had to wait till she was 37 the robots are confused robots are a little yeah. dis- disoriented so they're like oh the ship's 37 years old so we gotta wait she's gonna be the brain's gonna be the new computer because they cannibalized all the people um which is a uh, you know quite a, a horrific yeah. um, element of the story uh <laughs> um but again, uh, so this is Stephen Moffat. Uh, this is his next contribution to Doctor Who. And you can really tell, right? I mean, it, it, it's the dialogue, the plot is complicated, but clever. Um, and uh, the dialogue is really good. Uh, and it, it really, it, it comes along uh, very quickly. Um, he even calls back to, you know, there's a whole scene where she asks him to dance, dance with yes. me. And so it's like calling back to the Doctor Dances elements. And then he's out good. all night dancing, um, which we, I mean, you yeah, kind of assume yeah. some hanky panky happened outside of the TARDIS yeah, yeah. over there. The term is wow. Wait, sir, wait I, I want to be clear about something. John, when you have sex, do you talk as though you're a Charlie Brown adult and just go, Wow, wow, wow. That... <laughs> wow, wow. Beep, beep. Beep, beep. Ribby, ribby. Uh, it's, uh, um, <laughs> uh, we, right. uh, so, yes. But they uh, mentioned that the, the title of that episode story. was The Doctor Dances, and it's hinted at there, and yes. it's quite and it's, yeah, literal here. here. Um, uh, this is a. Um, uh, Again, a, a nice. It's it's an intricate plot that Stephen Moffat does. Um, it's very clever. Uh, it's I think it's kind of neat how um, uh, only the audience knows why the robots did what they right. The Doctor never actually finds out. Like, why did they go after her? You know, and it's only at the end that we see the name of the spaceship. Um, the Doctor never finds that out, which I think is kind of a, a neat little touch. Um, this is. Again, so Stephen Moffat's sort of vision of Doctor Who is very much as a fairy tale. Like he talks about that, he's like he sees Doctor Who as a fairy tale that there's you know scary things and things like that. Um, and you can see that here. This has a very fairy tale quality of you know uh, sort of how he meets her and you know the little girl. Again, he's also very good at taking things that kids identify with, right? Monsters under right. the bed, or you know, um, I mean, it's, it's, I, I do sometimes cool with how the the fireplace. It's just. It just looks because obviously they just built the sets back to back. It just looks into the spaceship and it's like, so why didn't when it wasn't running, didn't she look through the why didn't anybody just crawl through the fire when it right. wasn't lit? Um rather than spin around or anything, or anybody look through and see people walk around back there. But we let that go. But again, fairy tale, right? You don't that that kind of thing you just kind of let slide because it doesn't work for the story. Um the uh uh 
this is a and again Stephen Moffat taking sort of a very different ludicrously different concepts right you know uh, uh, um, uh, 17th 18th century France uh, and spaceships in the future and clockwork robots with French outfits and like he takes all these really weird elements or random elements and then a uh, historical figure right this is a celebrity historical of, of, of well another one actually since we already had Queen right. Victoria um, and just puts all these elements together and makes a story out of it right and uh, uh, I think that's it's that's why he's so incredibly talented um this could be i I was was watching this this time i was like this could be a standalone story like you don't need to know much about doctor who it could just be like a black mirror episode or something right you could establish pretty quickly the rules of the universe uh and and it would and it'd still be just a really good story um it has great you know the the emotional beats it is a very sad story um as you point out um Rose, Billy Piper's good in this as always, but Rose is all over the place. And I, I think I did read somewhere that this was, uh, they weren't necessarily sure that Mickey was going to come along at the end of the last story. I think when this was being written um, and her character is because like at the end of uh school reunion, she looks a little upset that Mickey's coming yeah, along. Yeah. Right. It's like, Oh, here's, there's my ex going to interview with that. Then that's kind of ignored here. Um, they also just, I, 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 I think is a little bit of a misstep in the sense that they just sort of established for her, oh, he might, you know, he'll move on. And then the very next story, he kind of immediately moves on. And, and <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm in love yeah. with this woman. And she's like, oh, okay, um, excuse me. Um, I thought that was a little weird how they did that <clears throat> um, and how casually he takes it, um, <clears throat> you know, um, especially because I know where we're headed with the season. It's like, he's like, oh, well, I, I, no, I do think probably what was going on and Moffat has a, a tendency to do this in his stories which is he'll he'll sort of he accepts that the doctor can live for a long time and he'll just create these fantastically huge time spans that's right like stories will take place over the doctor will be doing something for billions of years uh and and he, he does that and so here I, I think the idea of the whole slow path conversation was he wasn't necessarily going to leave them on the spaceship in the sense that he would just hang out until the time when the spaceship was and then like, you know, after like right when he went through the mirror, he'd just pop out from like a closet somewhere and be like, don't worry, I was here the whole time. But I just had to wait uh, <laughs> to pick you up or something. And they get the times like he could just take the regular path. I, I think it wouldn't surprise me if that was somewhat, you know, what, what Moffat was thinking. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I think uh, Mickey's coolness mm-hmm. um, stays true to his character, but is also resourceful. And I love uh, what's the line at the beginning where he's like uh, looking out the window of the spaceship and he's, he's like, I get a spaceship on my first go. And it looks so real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the special effects look so good. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, all the stuff you say about sort of uh, Stephen Moffat's big, big ideas um, being pushed into this. I thought this was a little bit of uh, in terms of. I agree that as a standalone episode, this this could be one that you say like, "Hey, maybe watch this." It has some interesting things going on. It does show a good mixture of the different things that happen in Doctor Who. Um, but I think it you feel the tension here, not tension, but I, I wonder if this would be different if he was the showrunner and it would be weaved. This one big plot would we be weaved into other big ideas he might have in the season. It doesn't feel like it fits in as well with the thrust of what's going on here in general because for example one of the big things you get out of this episode is like oh, okay so the doctor in doing some of these things he can fall in love and this and then it can get ripped away from him well we just literally had it in a very different 
yeah. sense, but we have this episode showing how like he falls in love with his companions and that does happen. And over a much longer time span, he also has to be ripped away from them. So it was almost like proving this point that we didn't need proven um, necessarily, or at least at right. this moment, we didn't need it, need it really proven. Yeah. I, must have come later I also thought it does mix there, together. Yeah. As you say, it has a lot of like plates uh, uh, spinning and it does mix together this, uh, this uh, historical celebrity it doesn't do much with his relationship with the companion, um, but there's some of that. And then he, not just the historical celebrity, but this romance that he has. And and it plays with time travel. And then also the thing with the robots, I felt like the sci-fi aspect of the robots themselves and what they're doing and what's driving them, because the plot with him and um, uh, Renette is so much more front and center, that gets a real backseat. And I found myself not really quite understanding like this could have been a plot driven by like these robots sort of they're essentially like driven mad like they're out in the universe and they have this thing right. this this order that they've been given they're trying to carry through and these horrible things happen as a result but you really have to kind of piece it together and listen closely to hear what's happening there you have to be paying attention. um and and yeah. so that i didn't think was great i mean i think was, the the human interaction here is obviously more compelling but I didn't think it was as strong as like his previous story that we've seen where that all hung together in a really cool way. Whereas this was like, oh, there's a lot of cool ideas and some of them are done really well and others are just kind of hanging out there. They, they sound kind of maybe cool, but they're not as well um, put forward in the episode. This is also one episode as opposed to two. So, um, uh, yeah, two no, this, is, this is a Moffat tendency. Um, I, I you know, a lot of people have different opinions about Stephen Moffat, um, which is outrageous. Everyone should have my opinion, but uh, um, <laughs> those <laughs> don't share my opinion. <laughs> Sorry, this is. Um, I, I love Stephen Moffat. I think he's great. I think his stories, Doctor Who, are, are definitely highlights. Um, but um, uh, he does have this tendency. He does. I mean, it must be amazing to be in his brain to be able to think of so many. He just throws right, a thousand right. ideas out there. And some of them he picks up on, and some of them he does. And just you'll just some stories, especially when he starts running the show, will just move from idea to idea. And you'd be like, you could do a whole series around that one idea that he abandoned after the first five minutes <laughs> and went to something else. And it's like, right. um, which again, it must be amazing to be able to just do that. Well, I think um, literally so just uh, the the, uh, the great, time travel um, device of saying we're going to have a portal, but when we go back and forth. We it is unpredictable how much time has passed. That's a fascinating device, and and he uses it. I mean, obviously, it's a, we mentioned it's part of the end. It's yeah. a huge part of the ending of like, um. But that device itself could be a whole novel. Like you can just like play with that. And what does that mean? And and it's a really interesting thing that um. In some sense, to your point, you almost think, oh, I wish we could have actually explored that more because we can't kind of do it again. I mean, you know, I guess Doctor Who can do anything right. again, but um. It feels it feels like, oh, I wish we could have even given that more focus because it's a really interesting plot device. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, and again, fits in with the fairy tale, right? A magic door in your bedroom that right. takes you to a spaceship. Like, again, that's just his his way of looking at it. Um, uh, quick behind the scenes, salacious, gossipy Ooh. detail. Uh, Sophia Miles, who's uh, even I can acknowledge is a very beautiful woman. Uh, Who plays, plays Renette. Uh, um, uh, Madame well, she's very, yeah. very good, uh, yeah. she uh she and David Tennant had a little bit of a fling Ooh. on this uh, um uh, I think there was a, a romance that sparked sparked from this uh, um did not uh, did not uh last he eventually ended up as I said earlier marrying Peter Davison's daughter um if she had 
been, you know, the daughter or in any relation to one of the right. earlier doctors, she might have yeah. been shot, but uh, she does not here. Uh, but yeah, so you could you could see there's chemistry. There's definitely chemistry between them, which is great. Um, I mean, before I married Kim, she uh, had to prove to me via DNA that she's at least with within three generations of a doctor. Like she had to prove that to me. And yeah. I, I, you know. Yeah. That's and still Mike is still on probation. <laughs> so like until we get some DNA back, I'm like, yeah, if you can't prove it, I mean, you know, maybe that maybe someone will become the doctor and you could say. I think the best Mike can do is that like his great great grandfather was like had a, a drink in the same bar as John Perley's great great grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. You're like, I'll take it. I'll he take it. A, <laughs> yeah, he, he could get on a convention panel with that. Like that's big. That's big time. All right, let's recap our uh, our classic episode, The Robots of Death. Yeah, no death. Uh, this is season 14, mm. serial five of the original series. It's mm. four episodes. Mm. It was released the 29th. Uh, the episodes were released the 29th of January through the 19th of February, 1977. Mm. Again, this, this would right be the prime time yeah. when my parents were conceiving me right mm-hmm. there. That mm-hmm. this, this happened probably at the, I would say, the end of the finale of this. They probably waited in between stories to conceive me. This, yeah, this, uh, I was born in October of this that year. So yeah, it'll be very close for me. Yeah. This could be yeah, this for could you. Be probably it. the, yeah. probably the beginning of this story for me, yeah. probably the end. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's listen to a clip of our parents conceiving us. No, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is a clip, a clip of the episode, actually. Why are we wasting time on them? We know they're guilty. We don't know anything of the sort. We just hope they're guilty. He was hiding Kirill's body in that hopper and got trapped when he was turned on. Now, that's a fact. No. That's an inference. I wasn't hiding that body. I was finding it. And I'd say it was put there for precisely that reason. Someone wanted to kill me, too. The murderer? No. The others were strangled. Why should he be any different? To put suspicion onto me. Why, brother? You're a stowaway. What could be more suspicious than a stowaway? A dead stowaway. It's possible, you know. He could be telling the truth. It's a lie. It's pretty feeble. Ever hear of the double bluff? Well, yes, now you come to mention... Lock them up in the storage bank. Put a guard on them. I agree with the commander. Well, it gets you out of an awkward situation, doesn't it? Why don't you shut your mouth? Why don't you shut yours? What? She's as good as accusing me of murdering my friends! You never had any friends! Have you quite finished? Look, either one of us murdered them or they did. Which do you think is the more likely? Um, <clears throat> there is one other possibility you seem to have overlooked. We've heard quite enough out of you. You know, you're a classic example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth and the size of the brain. Ooh, burn. Sick burn. Yeah. Sick burn. <clears throat> Tom Baker burn. From the doctor. This is, this is a doctor from the burn unit. Uh, look, let me <laughs> let me describe to you what happened in this story. Uh, the fourth doctor, mm. Mr. Thomas Baker and Leela hey. arrive on a mining ship because in the future, some someone's always mining something. That's just, there that's just is always happening. A lot of mining in Doctor Who. So, yeah, <laughs> that is happening. It is. I mean, it, it is a common thing that's discussed. I feel like in science fiction is like resource wars and, yeah. and, and things like that. The ship is and as a reason for why people do space travel is to go out into space and to mine planets for resources. Because the people love mining. The people people love mining. Love mining. Uh, the ship is manned by a few folks, but largely run by a bunch of robots who do all the work. Uh, something is afoot as a human has turned up dead on the ship. Ooh. Nobody leave! Nobody leave the <laughs> ship! <laughs> and then Agatha Christie comes on. Hercule Poirot comes well, on. Well, well marked, says, sir. 
Um, so they, uh, so someone's starting to dead, but they don't want to stop mining and return home. Why? Well, apparently they can mine a lot better just after a big storm happens. It kind of kicks mm. up everything, kicks up the dust. And so abandoning things now would mean a huge loss for this enterprise. So everyone kind of suspect we just heard in this clip, everyone's suspecting everyone else. There's only but so many people on the ship. So this is why it makes it um, difficult because everyone everyone is literally a suspect like one of those Agatha Christie novels. Mm-hmm. But no one suspects the robots well not no one but that isn't really entertained that seriously why well as we discussed in the opening asimov's first law they developed these robots that robots are programmed from the beginning that they cannot kill people and asimov's second law is that the robots have to follow orders from uh from the people who made them unless those orders involve killing people so that's a double no killing thing Mm -hmm. you can't do that Mm -hmm. Well, rules are made to be broken. <laughs> These robots are definitely killing people. <laughs> totally. Um, the doctor and Lilo begin to investigate, and people keep dying. Again, there are not many people on this on this ship, so uh, rapidly you're starting to hone in on who the murderer might be because there's just not many people left. Eventually, the doctor discovers that one robot who isn't supposed to be able to talk. He's mm-hmm. one of the dumbs. Uh, is D84. actually. A, a, as I understood this, he's actually a plant from the government, maybe, who's who's investigating yeah. things here. And what seems to be happening is that someone has modified these robots to kill. And that can only be done by the robot's creator, Taryn Capel, who... Or Capel? Capel, yes. You're, you're yeah, showing your Duke roots by... It's Jeff oh, Capel. Right, Jeff Capel. Great, right. great, great, great grandson. <laughs> <laughs> who mur- Taren- murders robots. <laughs> He's a great point guard. His his ancestors were great point guards. He murdered, built murderous robots. So he snuck onto the ship via a disguise because they checked everyone's credentials before they came on board, but apparently never conceived a disguise was possible, which is sort of a really great episode. That was a, just sort of a strange, uh, not whole, I don't know how to explain it, just sort of a silly thing. Um, the robots keep killing. And one crew member goes insane with robot fever, John, which I really enjoyed. Um, Lilo, it, it was an interesting thing, but it, it was just sort of funny. He, he, um, he, no, robotophobia, I think is what they described yeah, uh, as robotophobia, that. They, Grim Wade syndrome. Yeah. They, it's when someone basically becomes convinced that the robots are out to, to get him. Now, to be fair, they describe this as a mental condition. On this ship, the robots were yeah, quite right. literally <laughs> trying to kill him. So, um, yeah, yeah. Leela uh, holds her own here. I mean, mm. she, she holds her own. And the doctor, along with two of the remaining crew, hold off the robots. And then they stash Leela away to let out helium to change Taryn Capel's voice. Because uh, they establish that the robots... Uh, operate uh, identify people based on voice patterns mm. and they with his with turn capel having inhaled helium they no longer recognize his voice and he had programmed them basically to kill all humans other than himself mm-hmm. so n- with that n- no longer recognizing uh him as turn capel they kill him uh, then uh, the gang shuts down and otherwise reprograms the other robot robots, and then the doctor's like, "Peace, I'm out of here." <laughs> Very quickly, he's Very like, good, All right, right? "This yes. seems to be notoriously handled. fast." <laughs> don't even don't even check on the people that were trapped on the bridge. It just is like, "Well, losing sense should we check on them?" Nah, they're probably fine. Right, they address <laughs> it right. They address, <laughs> as he's leaving so quickly, they're like, I'm, oh, "We're leaving very quickly. Should we just walk like literally 15 Steal feet that something? way?" Nah, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> Um, which was sort of 
I don't know, just sort of funny. It just seemed like a character move. But um, yeah, he seemed in a hurry. But um, yeah, really interesting episode. Anything I missed there? No, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of you because you did hit the, this is definitely a, 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 a Agatha Christie tribute, right? Uh, and it's often remarked on this is sort of a who version of Murder on the Orient Express. You know, there's, you've got you know, mm, assortment right. of people in a, in a moving object, uh, which, I, that's that's it. That's <laughs> that is the theme. Of, like, the theme you get some is people and a moving object, and yeah, yeah. The, the classic story: people on a moving object. That uh, yeah, you get the murders. Um, there is. I, you I, got I, your murders. You got, got your moving your, objects. It's all, it's, it's all. It's all there in this this stew of plot. Um, uh, no, it is. Uh, uh, it is. I had forgotten. You know, rewatching it uh, uh, when I did, I had forgotten just how much murder mystery it is. I mean, you know, people talking about who has an alibi and who was where, and, right. and it is a good mystery until they show the murderer in sort of a badly distorted image that clearly shows you who it is. <laughs> well, like, right, oh, right. His voice is yeah. disguised, and his image is slightly blurred. It's like, but we could see. It looks like the I thought, guy who's still. Alive. Well, I thought at that point, again, there's so it few people left, yeah. and and yeah. and you knew that. I guess the only point it could have been at that point is it it could have been the captain or the yeah. the first mate, the the woman yeah, who I believe was first mate. Yeah. Maybe right, right. Um, pool, you know, it's not him anymore. That was like a, a red herring. Um, not a red herring, but he goes insane. So yeah. you realize it's not him. <laughs> um, I also thought when they did that, it reminded me of actually uh, in in Star Wars when like the person becomes the emperor, the big bad guy. It's the person who you clearly saw earlier, right. and he just has a hood that you can only see his nose and mouth. Or like Superman, Clark Kent. It's like we we all see this, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so I didn't think at that point they were trying to hide it. Yeah, and I mean it's definitely it isn't like you know it isn't a classic mystery, and you're trying to guess to the final chapter who the murderer is. Uh, yeah, um, it's a. Uh, uh, um, it is a so it's a fan favorite, um, definitely one that uh, Doctor Who fans like, um, and it's considered sort of a classic. I think in part it was one of the early ones on VHS tape, so I've seen it a lot. Um, uh, but uh, it was one of the early ones that you could go back and watch, I think, uh, and, and see over and over again. Um, it is um, it is considered a a sort of triumph of design, right? So so the director Michael E. Bryan and I just thought ah, it's kind of a all right, it's it's an okay script. Um, we can try to liven it up by by sort of making this cool design for the robots and this Art Deco style. And they spent a lot of time on the design. Um, and uh, there are really nice touches. I think I think the robots are really well performed. And even though they're robots, they they have character. And, uh, and but the voices, if you still think they're robots, um, a cool effect that you don't re- or not effect, but um, uh, director's choice that you don't really notice is that all the robots move in sync. They all move on the same, to the same speed and like, uh, and this is that heartbeat sound effect. And they all kind of walk in time to that, which is kind of cool. So they're all moving together. Um, which is very cool. Um, this is by Chris Boucher, uh, who wrote, so this is actually the next story after the face of evil. So, uh, this is Leela's second story, um, by the guy who wrote the face of evil. Uh, and so, um, it's a great, uh, she was really, uh, Louise Jameson was really lucky in, in a sense, um, because, you know, having the creator, write the, having the creator, <laughs> <laughs> the creator has written the story for me. Uh, but having her character's creator, write A second story gave, uh, uh, you know, it, it made sure that she had a really good second story because, you know, the guy, 
obviously knew the character and, and had ways he wanted her to develop or, or behave. And so it really helped to establish her character. Um, because especially often in, you know, in, in an anthology like this, uh, you know, the second story with this companions is written as or before the first story is written, right? And so, and, or the, the author has never seen the first story uh, or the performance and doesn't really, you know, know, okay, well, how, they just have this vague outline and sort of try to write it as best they can. Um, you know, but again, here you had sort of this longer time to get uh, her character established um, and she works really well. Um, uh, yeah, great performance from David Collings, uh, who's fairly well-known sort of British uh, as Poole, uh, who's kind of a pretty well-known, he's in a lot of British uh, British television uh, and movies and stuff. Um, and uh, this is, again, another great story of the, um, the world building is very fast, right? They, they, you know, you, you, the whole thing's about the founding families and clearly, you know, uh, and like they established a society and sort of the tensions around wealth and, and the society with a few lines and very quickly. And it adds a whole nother level to the story. Very, they very quickly established that they do quickly get across the nature of, again, how, how and what they're mining and they also get across pretty quickly the different tiers of robots and the nature of the like there's a lot that gets out there um like you said in just a few lines for all of it and this is one where um actually a big finish the the audio folks have actually done a spin-off series based on this world right there was so much to work with there that they've actually sort of spun it off and and, and had some stuff with the robots and um this was never revisited in the television series but has been revisited in books and and audio because again it is sort of a fan a fan favorite um yeah, as I mentioned, the design, very good. Uh, again, the art deco style. Only falling apart really with the, I think I did read somewhere that they said they didn't expect the shoes to appear on camera quite so prominently, but they are basically wearing shoe boxes with tinfoil around them. They look a little Oh, I have to go back rough. and look. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Uh, That's funny. Uh, but uh, uh, I was distracted by uh, their haircuts. I like yeah. the idea that the robots had metallic haircuts molded i think they all have the same haircut but i thought <laughs> yeah. that was um, well the, so the, the director um uh it's interesting you read because of course i've you know doctor who magazine has been being published for 30 40 years now and so they're running out of people interviews so you get into really obscure production assistants they talk about like designers and things like that and I, I it's interesting to hear interviews with designers of especially sci-fi shows they do really sit down and figure out the logic of what they're doing like it's not that just they're like oh we have some you know some some design we'll just glue these things to this and that like they're like well how would this work what would this look like um the models in here are very good too right the model effects of the sand miner are pretty good and they'll just be like, all right so how would this work and and so they interview with the designer on this show or the director said all right, well, if your entire society is run by robots and they're around you all the time, you'd want them to look nice, right? I mean, you you know, it's, it's this thing you're interacting with and you'd want, you wouldn't want it to be totally like a clown with this weird face that he freaks out by like, right. or something like that. So it's like, so you'd want it to be attractive and look nice. And so that was, that was their sort of rationale for designing them the way they did, um, which is, is clever. Um, I wish the, the thing that I think they don't, um, they touch on, but don't, it would have been interesting to explore more was sort of this idea. And, and, and um, there's a short scene where they kind of talk about it. It's like, what would happen to the society, right? If, if it got out, the robots could suddenly turn around and start to kill everybody. The society that's totally dependent on them. Like if our iPhones suddenly could kill us, we'd probably all be, you know, be, we'd be troubling, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that well, would be, I think... you wouldn't be like, this is troubling. Uh, <laughs> people would panic. Right? <laughs> yes. Like, but actually, it's, 
it's a good example because I think it would be like, well, we've clearly got to fix this. And it's like, well, one thing we could do is all stop using our iPhones and be like, mm, well, no, <laughs> yeah. we're we'll not going to do that. <laughs> so uh, I could imagine continuing on uh, trying to make the robots you know, it was like, oh, we fixed that part. We, yeah. we, we the killing part. Yeah, we, we fixed that part. That, <laughs> they no longer kill all, everybody. They no longer um, kill everyone. <laughs> uh, but they do. Uh, they do actually. It's interesting. Uh, one of the the sequels, there's a spinoff fiction or whatever they do. Um, they do talk about uh, they had to cover this up, right? Like, if, 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 so someone plays with them lines. Like, you, you can't get out what happened here. That this you know ship comes back and they're like, why is everybody dead? It's like, uh, cause don't it's not not the robots, certainly not the robots strangling everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why. Um, no, it's, it's a great story, and I love I do. Um, it's a it's a uh, it's a dumb ending in a way, but also it works in the sense that using the helium to change the voice. You're like, I would have thought the super sophisticated robots, you know, someone <laughs> happens right, to have right. a, but um, but it's clever, right? It's better than just well, let's we'll shoot them with a gun, or you know, it's 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 trying to find clever solutions to the problems that they set out, um, you know, rather than sort of the obvious sci-fi standards, um, which is nice. Um, also, my favorite uh, has a great outburst. Tom Baker, very goodness as always. Um, <clears throat> I love the dramatic. <laughs> cliffhanger of technobabble or, or, or i guess the resolution of the cliffhanger where the thing is sinking and they need to turn off the power or something or, or no the power is a building and it's going to explode they need to turn it off and tom baker has to scream you've got to cut the you've got to cut the zeta the zeta links you've got to cut the zeta links <laughs> very dramatically <laughs> it's just like uh it's, to be able to deliver like you have to be able to deliver that line convincingly if you're going to be in sci-fi and uh yes it's uh it's it's very dramatic <laughs> very, uh, <laughs> it's very good yeah, I like I, I I agree with the take on the helium. It is sort of a silly thing, but fairly often in the bad episodes of Doctor Who that I've seen, there is this Deus Ex machine gun right. that he's like, just trust <laughs> me, I'm making a perfect gun that will only work for this. And oh, can we have it right away? No, it'll take about three episodes for me to build it. And then, you know, and, and it's just sort of that's the end of everything. So I, I like to prefer that. It's a it's it's a yeah. bit silly, but I, I liked it. Um uh, some other things uh, you mentioned the 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 models and the miniatures um, mm-hmm. th- that they use for this are are definitely better on this one. Again, my my need for establishing shots is satisfied here. They show us where we are occasionally with the miniatures, and mm-hmm. other than that, they're inside the ship. But like you have a sense of where you are in the ship and moving around. Um, what just a very odd moment, a, a, a very Tom Baker moment, is when he's creepily staring and smiling when they. Re- reveal him behind the curtain uh talking to <laughs> d78 i believe you said the name of the robot was um that's just it's just a weird <laughs> he was just being <laughs> maniacal for no real reason other than he's tom baker yeah, um yeah. and then a couple notes for for lila was just um she her running sometimes is way too dainty for a cave woman like when she looks good is when she's really like established and moving around and is strong but when she starts running and holding her hands up like daintily while she's running it just doesn't make sense i mean occasionally that she can only go like five feet i mean you know the the corridor scene (laughs) there's not a lot of she can't get up a lot of steam no i know it's just it's just the physicality of it i i I can't explain it like sometimes the physicality seems off from what her character was i thought her character in the in um um what was it? What was her first episode? Face of evil. Um, face of evil. The face of evil. I thought in the face of evil, she was this like really strong, like woman who lives in the jungle can take care of herself. And like when that 
I feel like that's an interesting part of her character. So mm. when that it takes away and she feels a little bit, um, again, like just moving around too too daintily as like a yeah. modern person, it just it falls apart. And then the other thing, kind of related to that, is I think it was her, or it might have been the first. Um, the first maid when a robot is holding a hand through the door and she uh, I, I i forget which one of them is takes like a vase and oh, yeah, sort it's of like it's, a, it's a light it's plastic it's, vase it's clearly it's just a, <laughs> such a silly thing of like why even go near it with that just get away from this <laughs> yes <laughs> like she's a very ineffective light plastic vase like <laughs> i just like i like the idea that the 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 vase like you know these unstoppable this unstoppable <laughs> force of the robots is like oh they've never come in contact with this this vase i had on my end table <laughs> she's silly. panicking she's panicking um yes this uh this uh speaking of lila this does have uh louise jameson likes to tell the moment um where uh she apparently almost killed a cameraman by throwing the knife uh and she could oh. not really see very well so she uh, uh so she is wearing um they decided that for whatever reason, she had to have brown eyes. I think because Baker had, I don't know. Not that, I never noticed the color of anybody's. But apparently they were like, she has to have brown eyes. So she had to wear okay. these contact lenses to change the color of her eyes from blue to brown. But so they made it hard for her to see sometimes. And yes, then she's throwing the knives around. And so then they had to, they're like, all right, well, if she's going to start throwing knives, we've got to make sure that we clear everyone out of the way, except for the camera guy who's like terrified that he's going to be <laughs> impaled with a knife. So yes, uh, uh, she was, uh, uh, that, that, uh, I, I hope they would have not thrown real knives, but uh, maybe it's a low budget thing. Look, mm. look, we can't afford fake knives. So <laughs> real knives. Uh, and we're going to wing them at the camera guy. Um, but yeah, no, this is a, uh, one of the greats, one of the greats, one of the great Doctor Who stories here. Uh, a lot of other fun things about this. I mentioned um, Isaac Asimov thing. A lot of references to Asimov. Uh, Uvanov uh, was a reference to Asimov. And uh, a lot of other stories and, and things about robotics are um, are referenced throughout. It seems like the naming of the of uh, some of the people, um, uh, other science fiction makers. This was very layered with uh, references throughout science fiction and robotics and, and things yeah, like the, that. Yeah, uh, the Taren, Taren Kapel is supposed to be a play on the, uh, was it Capek, Capek, the guy? The, Carol Capek. Yeah, yeah the, the the Czech author who uh, coined the term robot in, and I know there's a story called Roar, R-U-R, I think it's called, uh, which I know this because it was in my crossword puzzle today. And I guess um, Pool Anderson, Pool is named for Pool Anderson, who's a sci-fi author. Author. um very interesting and and the, the even the sand mining itself is from dune so this is just like bringing a ton of a ton of stuff but but doesn't feel like um repetitive feels like a really interesting it feels like a really cool little short story like like yeah. a um like an asimov or a um yeah, yeah frank herbert whoever a a, a short story some some idiot <laughs> off, the, off the street no, and, and again it's what um it is it, it shares similarities to the uh, girl in the fireplace besides robots, uh, which is the linking theme. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, it's like, let's take this, let's take, <laughs> don't mind let's take this classic murder mystery, this classic romance and put some robots in it. <laughs> <It'll be laughs> but, but, uh, you know, again, it is sort of, we can, uh, it is, I think what's cool about Dr. Who is they are in most cases sort of, retelling fairly common stories but adding really interesting sci-fi elements which doesn't just feel like oh well, we just threw some robots in like <laughs> yeah. a bad way to do it would have just been we're just doing murder than express except one of the characters is a robot like that was... <laughs> themes 
loves all the glorious themes. There's a thing in one episode, and then it appears again. Oh, those themes. Yes, John, themes. They are stuff that happens, <laughs> and then they happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Things happen, and that then is, they happen again. <laughs> that is that is That was from my AP English literature <laughs> answer. <laughs> Well, we are adherents of the repeating themes here on NTEMP, and uh, we had one big, fairly big theme we want to talk about that slightly links things here, which is uh, big old robots. Robots, 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 John. Uh, What what does Doctor Who think about robots? That's interesting. Pro or con? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly con at this point. Not a lot of murders. But then you counterbalance that with your beloved K-9, which you just, you won't stop about how much you love it. I love K-9, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, um, uh, it is, uh, sci-fi loves robots. They're a trope that comes back all the time. Um, And it's it's a challenge. I think in, in many ways, I think Doctor Who does fairly well with them because it's a hard design element you want, especially if you're going to have an actor play them, uh, you want, and you, and you, you know, you've got to overcome the problem of, well, does, is this thing going to express emotions or, you know, is it interesting to watch a blank face talking to an, in a monotone to another blank face? Right. I mean, like, you know, an, an episode of, of an hour of Daleks talking to each other would start to get a little, a little grading right, at a certain <laughs> point. Right? They're not particularly interesting. Uh, they're plot elements. Um, and so, yeah, figuring out how to do robots and then also how to design a robot in a way that looks reasonable, uh, looks like a robot, but also is not you know, a, a person in some silver painted cardboard boxes <laughs> walking around with their arms sticking straight out in front of them. You know, I mean, like you have to, which is a, a risk in sci-fi. Um, so, uh, you know, with a pot on their head. Uh, and so, you know, I, these episodes, I think both do it very well in that they, they establish these, they design the robots in interesting ways, right? The idea of of making them wear the French masks uh, and, and outfits is a very, clever way to to show them and you know there's a robot underneath there but you still get now they don't give a lot of expression um but but you know again they're interesting visually interesting and the same with the robots in um uh in uh, uh robots of death um which uh uh they do have the interesting so it's never quite fully established i think in robots of death of, of uh, the rule of how they think right are they being totally logical are they not they're obviously being reprogrammed d84 the one that's supposed to be the secret agent he, he's kind of emotional right or he, he doesn't yeah. just like cry <laughs> he's like he had he's an he's an interesting character right like he's actually kind of interesting to watch and and has and has a character um and seems to be emotionally attached to pool in a in a certain way and stuff like that it's and, also and it's, interesting that he's following his programming but his programming is to lie he's supposed to act like yeah. another type of robot while researching this other things which seems sort of counterintuitive or doesn't you know goes against the, the second law of robotics that we talked yeah. about is like you're supposed to follow the person's orders, which they are, but in doing so, you're not following other right. people's orders. Else, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, two robots are you could do that, right? They're a plot device. So you can, it's like the psychic paper or the songs. If you can do whatever you happen to need it to do in an episode, so you're like these robots are programmed to fly or to bake <laughs> cupcakes or whatever it is we need them to do. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, again, it's sort of a, 
a, a free, you know, a blank slate that you can kind of do any, uh, you know, like a wizard who can cast spells or something. He's like, oh, we've programmed the robot to do this now. Robots can't kill unless we need them to kill and then they can kill. Um, there are, there's actually a great uh, earlier episode of Tom Baker's first story actually called, Ro- it's called Robot. And it is about clowns. Uh, it's about a, uh, a giant robot that uh, they program it to, uh, or they reprogram it to kill, and it creates a conflict with the robot. And then it, um, uh, it, it, it sort of the robot. They go through arbitration, with- and they try to work out their differences. <laughs> <laughs> very robot gets representation. It's a very by the numbers union negotiation, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so they, they play, but generally they, you know, yeah, it's just like, oh, I need the robot to do something else now, so I'm going to program it to do that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's again, I think the, the challenges of robots are how do you make them interesting? How do you give it? How do you give it a character? It still follows rules of robotics, and then how do you also make them visually interesting without making them look stupid? I mean, look, you look at all the '50s and '60s sci-fi that has literally people in cardboard boxes with like tinfoil and like little googly eyes spinning. And well, so here they have to stand out and be different from like Cybermen, for example. Yeah, they have to. Right stand out as visually distinct from them which i think they do these do look more they look softer or more human they don't look menacing um but definitely look like robots (laughs) they look odd they do look like tin cans um you know sorry no offense sorry sorry (laughs) sorry robots sorry 1970s production designers uh yeah no they uh uh they do i think um again in the in the shimmering clarity of the blu-ray uh you can actually see in a couple scenes that the the hands does are actually dishwashing gloves painted silver (laughs) 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 yellow gloves they're just clearly dishwashing gloves painted silver um but you know again you have to you have to put an actor in there uh and uh and 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 give them something to perform, right? Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I think I, I think it's a, I think um, uh, there's another great, uh, it's an episode called The Brain of Morbius. Uh, and uh, this was written, it was sort of be a play on Frankenstein, but the original idea was that there's going to be this robot who, who is trying to rebuild a person, uh, sort of the monster building the man is sort of thing. Um, and they rewrote the story that Robert Holmes rewrote. It was Terrence Dix's story. Rewrote it famously um, because he's like the robot's just going to look ridiculous, right? We, it's going to be like a guy painted silver uh, <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just going to look. We can't do it very well for the story. So they so took the robot out of it all. They took the robot out. Yeah, um, and then later, uh, the fifth Doctor era, um, they actually got a real robot uh, who was uh, was you know sort of this. They someone had built this very elaborate contraption that was run by computers and it could move by itself and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's called Chameleon, uh, and it could take it could it would, could camouflage itself like Chameleon it could take the form of other people. So you could have actors playing it normally, but every once in a while we refer back to this robot, and he comes on board the TARDIS as a companion for so the next generation canine. But then the robot never worked, and so he comes on board the TARDIS <laughs> in an episode. Comes on board the TARDIS in an episode. They never mention him again until about six episodes later and then he they find him in a closet and then they're like oh he has to leave now <laughs> he's written out of the show uh, it's a very weird uh, thing because yeah he's just apparently he's just bumming around the tardis but no one ever mentions him like hey no one ever's like hey remember that robot we picked up a couple episodes ago <laughs> like, nah. so, so again problematic uh to, to to use robots in your show um or or you know and even you know 
K9 is obviously not mental for a person, but he was remote controlled uh, and uh, they had trouble with him because uh, the remote controls on similar frequency to the cameras. So every once in a while, he would just lose control and crash into things. Uh, and then also he looks like he's made of wood, which he is. Yeah, I was going uh, to say, they also had a little trouble with him because he's an incredibly stupid thing. <laughs> oh, John. Ooh. Boy. Take a load off. Here, sit sit down over there. I got some beanbag chairs over there. Just sit down. In the ranking section, the ranking it's very lounge. comfortable here. <laughs> just the, the ranking lounge. Just take a load off, set a spell. I got, I got a hookah set up. I don't know. People like this. Mo- I don't. I don't partake of this, but I got a hookah set up in case people want to do that. Wow, that's, flavored, that's, that's a great thing to just smokes. casually put out for people. I, I, I don't. I don't use it. I don't know how to use it. I got a hookah out here though. If anybody wants, I just to. bought one. I just buy things. Yeah. <laughs> I lit it on fire. I don't know if that's how it works or not. As you're as you're relaxing here, uh, just keep in mind that there are 295 Doctor Who stories, and we need to rank all of them. We do. So just take a load off, calm yourself, Don't but just also pressure. know yeah. we're going to rank 295 right. things. We have 260 uh, to go, so we should really. That's get, right. Get we're about. Yeah. You know what, though, we are about 10 percent of the way there. We will be 10 percent of the way there after uh, yeah. after this because we rank 28. We're going to rank these, so we'll be up to yeah. 30. Yeah. So let me uh, let me get us started here. Um, the girl in the fireplace. This was an interesting one for me because I felt like the entire episode that I should like this more than I do. Mm-hmm. I, I liked it, um, but I felt like I mentioned in the recap, things didn't quite hang together as much as I wanted to. And I just I don't know. I just didn't enjoy it as much as um, I thought I would. I th- um i did think it was good uh certainly not in you know in the the lower tier of episodes but just sort of it was fine i enjoyed it uh but it didn't it didn't affect me uh, as much as i felt like it it should or or maybe it would other people that said uh i did my little thing where i was going through and saying like well let me compare it to this episode well mm-hmm. better than that and it, so it kind of moved up into the upper part of the middle tier so i have it just above aliens of london world war three again mm-hmm. but i actually put it below our episode uh our our new who from the last episode school reunion i actually liked school reunion a little more so i have it j- just between those two so it's at number 12 uh in in my list and then the robots of death i really liked mm-hmm. and so i i thought well maybe this will be really high at the top of the list it was definitely in the top tier for me i, I enjoyed the episode quite a bit I ranked it above um, Empty Child, Unquiet Dead. Mm. And then, then I got to, uh, uh, for me, uh, I have the Christmas Invasion up pretty high. And I just really enjoyed that episode. That was such a like fun episode. I could definitely rewatch it again. I could rewatch this one again, but it ended up just below that for me. So I have it as number five. So it's, 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 mm. it's high up there. It's funny because in these, um, I'm just deciding I'm not going to ever change any of these rankings. Yeah, no. I did that one time. Never going to do that again. Yeah. And so now when I look up there, I'm like, I, I like this more than the Aztecs, but I already put that up there. So I don't know. <laughs> um, similarly, like Alien, Aliens in London, World War Three, like didn't a doesn't age as well for me. I understand mm-hmm. why I liked it that much. But now having seen more, I was like, oh, I, I mm. keep having to rank stuff way higher than this because <laughs> it's definitely better than that. But I, I put I it like fairly wrong. high. I, told you I know I was I definitely a little off on that one. But um, anyway, so but I uh, Robots of Death uh, 
probably my favorite of the of the old who yeah. although i've asked sex sex was very good too so i mean it's no, no problem there but good. and then the girl in the fireplace in the middle but at the upper end of that for me uh, we're we're pretty much in agreement here um uh I, Whoa. what do we yeah. wait what do we get what do we what do we get <laughs> jinx I don't know, is that <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. uh and we're not totally anything uh so yeah i i have you're still to, slightly more right right <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously like... more correct um yeah i uh i'm with you girl in the fireplace is a i love it it's a it's an episode that you kind of watch and at the end you're like oh, that's a good episode when you the, but yeah, maybe when you think about it a little bit, you're just like, oh, all right, there, there was a, an emotional experience, but maybe it doesn't quite hang together um, uh, as much. I, I do. I mean, I do think the plot, the plot is clever, good use of time travel. Um, so I definitely put it up there in, in sort of uh, amongst my top uh, uh, Who episodes. Um, I, I, I ended up putting it just below Bad Wolf. Uh, and parting of the ways, just because I think that one wins out for being just a little bit more. It's emotional and significant, right? Whereas this one is, as we talked about, it's kind of a one-off, uh, uh, and um, um, and it is a little odd in sort of its placement with the relationships with the characters and stuff. Um, and then Robots of Death, yeah, that one that one's an easy top uh, top one for me. Um, uh, so I have it just below your favorite, the Chris Fenric. Uh, uh, but I, I actually most associate it with the Ark in space, right? It, it, it for me, the robots of death, hmm. the Ark in space, uh, uh, and a few others in this, uh, pyramids of Mars, as much as we'll get to all sit in that same space for me, right? That these, these are the classics of my childhood. The ones I remember the most watching when I was a kid. Um, and you and, said this may have probably, these probably all came out on a similar DVD yeah. set, right? This, well, uh, sorry, on VHS, uh, VHS yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. This was like one of the first like 10 to come out on VHS. Um, and so I, this I would could, be a great, I could see watching this one over and over. Like yeah. I could definitely see that. So yeah, I definitely saw it a lot. Uh, I saw it as the edited together omnibus movie version, um, but uh, I saw it a lot. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's Tom Baker. It's Lila. It's very, it's a good story. Um, it's, it's interesting, uh, and it looks good. And yeah, so I, I have it at number eight. Uh, so just, just above the arc in space, uh, just, just edges out the arc in space, a little more exciting to me, I think. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, so we're, I, we're close. We're in agreement. We're in agreement. I still don't understand the arc in space. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, you just like, like the big bug falling out of the closet. Maybe. I don't know. That's... That is, that's usually my bellwether. If, if something, anything really, uh, uh, if comedies, when a bunch of stuff falls out of a closet, I'm like, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make this bug bigger? <laughs> well, look, um, there's you know this like banter that's happening right mm, now mm-hmm. you can go to mindprobe.show and get that <laughs> written down right <laughs> uh, because john writes banter with himself uh for each episode Style. and um he uses a technology called hyperlinking to mm. then link to things uh related to this episode yeah. uh, to other things on what's called the internet i believe uh, a uh, series right. of interconnected newts who yeah. who i believe pass information along via the oral tradition pictures and descriptions of megalos back and forth and you write newt and you can years. find out all about megalos so i i find you can also see you can see our ranking uh up to date so we're like we said we're now through a tenth of the yeah. stories are ranked and Pretty it's exciting. it's done it's there you can you can um you can send us of course you can get in contact with us do you have a ranking that you want to send us link to us uh you can send that to me you can go to twitter and uh at me at porter mason and you can use the hashtag 
hey, Porter, I just wanted to ask you something about No Not the Mind Probe. Uh, so here it is. But put that all in a hashtag, all yep. one word. Including the odds. Including some O's. Including the odds. Oh, but for privacy's sake, uh, exchange all the O's in that to zeros and all mm. the threes to to to, to E's, E's to three, or, yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. E's to threes. Use that technique. A little leet speak I, there to, check. to help that get through the filters. Yes. H- have Has anyone tweeted at us yet? Any, any oh, let's try this. Yeah. Let's try this. Let's Let me log time. on to the old Twitter. We fire up the old engines here yeah. and log the, on to Twitter. Is the internet abuzz with uh, probers reaching out, reaching out into the void for let's us Oops. to respond, to uh, interact with celebrities like us? Uh, be like, you were the guys <laughs> on the internet. And then... Let's see. Let's see. We got, I have a direct message. <laughs> it's from my wife and Harris. So okay. I don't think that counts. Okay, count. no. I don't think Harris listens. Uh, Harris, Harris is not a prober. Harris, a uh, friend of the show, Harrison, anesthesiologist who yeah. uh, lives in Austin, Texas. <laughs> big uh, anesthesiologist, big probers. Big probers. Big, oh, big it's probers. the last thing people want to see before plunging into oblivion and having organs cut out by people. Hopefully doctors. I'm seeing I'm seeing zero tweets, but okay. I could also be using Twitter incorrectly. <laughs> um, right. Well, so again, uh, again. So be the first. Be yeah. the first. Um, um, you know, actually, I, I'll just throw this. Wait, did, did you include in the hmm. Mind Probe uh, uh, web page? Do you include yeah. your your? We actually don't oh, include in our about contact us information. <laughs> in the about us section, I could add it there. Yeah, you know? we, we should look. Idea, idea. We put how mm-hmm. to contact. Okay, yeah. Let's just look. No idea is a bad idea. Let's, <laughs> let's just football here. Yeah. Well, what contact would you put for yourself, John? Oh, uh, I, I am not available. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Fun fact: not available. Uh, I will add that in. I'm, and as I do that, John, uh, people can also check out the show order so they could watch along with us. Oh, that uh, is, uh, next... I've completed that, I believe, to, I was doing some work uh, this afternoon because I was bored. Uh, and um, hang on, I don't know. How do we get to the show page again? I'm on the admin page because I'm not important. Uh, but I believe no, I have completed. Just... The schedule mm-hmm. through the end of season uh, two, the first David Tennant uh, season, takes you all the way to Army of Ghosts Doomsday. Uh, well, our so next episode, um, you can watch. It's going to be coming out the day after Christmas. On it's mm. a kind of our Boxing Day classic episode. Yep. Uh, going to be coming out, and uh, John, what do we have in store for that uh, kind of a holiday fun? Well, yeah, it was it's working out well because you're going to need some time uh, <laughs> to get through <laughs> this one. So uh, we we hit our first David Tennant double episode: Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel. Uh, and uh, we have uh, sets a double of the new series, and then we've paired that with a, a bumper version, a seven episode, uh, a story from uh, the third Doctor era, one of my favorites, uh, Inferno. So, uh, so Ooh. budget a little extra time for uh, for yeah. these. Uh, it's going to take a little bit more, but you'll be off, you know, resting around Christmas, and so you'll have uh, you'll have that time uh, in your schedule, in your sketch. If you have a if you have a secretary like named, you know, like Bruce or somebody like Bruce, can you clear my schedule? Like yeah. do something like that, because then need, you're going to need that time. I'm going to need three and a half hours yeah. to watch it. In <laughs> <laughs> well, John, we saw the 10th doctor deal with a super, super sad ending this episode. So I thought we should end the podcast with our own super sad ending. So I got to 
I got to set up some things first. John, if you'll look behind you, I, I got you a puppy. Mm-hmm. You want to pick up that puppy and no. kind of bond with him quick, no. right. establish a deep connection. Right. You got you that? You kind forever. of okay. Yep. Right. okay, great. John, I'm so sorry. That puppy is sick, John. It's going to die. Oh. Oh. And then it's going to reanimate as a robot and murder you. Oh. Ah, sort of, sort of, <laughs> wow. Sort of sad and a little scary. Yeah. All right. oh. Oh. Here's to the slow path. Yeah. <laughs> in all seriousness, I really did plant a robot dog uh, with an order to murder you in your beach uh, house. So yeah. you and Mike should probably head out of there. <laughs> probably the, you can get, get ultimate, a move on. The ultimate irony would be if you killed us with a robot canine. I'd be like, no, I never, <laughs> I never would have expected this. <laughs> he wants us to all hate canine. <laughs> where we are i i am i am in spite of my advocacy of all civil liberties i'm like we should just shut off the internet the worst thing that happened to us was the internet aside from podcasting obviously that should continue <laughs> 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 yeah.